G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I am going to be going over a recent conference that I went to, which was the Australian National Conference in Sydney, uh, and highlighting a few of the epic moments from that conference that I and a few of the takeaways that I got from it. So a couple weeks ago, I spent the week in lovely, freezing cold, and a little bit wet Sydney, Australia. Uh, The reason being was the 28th National OT Australia Conference, uh, which I uh, was stoked to be actually going to and not having to work at, seeing I have been on the organising committee, or as part of the organising committee for the last three national conferences so this time i got to go and just soak it in as a delegate Uh, i had a poster which some of you have probably seen Uh, it was around the use of podcasting as a a medium for cpd for ot's and i've posted it on our on the occupied facebook page already so if you haven't seen it and you would like to check that facebook page but what i would like to do today is have a look at some of the I guess, key standout moments from that conference for myself. Now, obviously, massive conference, biggest conference that OT Australia's ever had in Australia, uh, biggest national conference, sorry, that we've ever had in Australia. Obviously, the Wofford Conference in Sydney a few years ago would have been a bit bigger, but biggest national conference, uh, there was uh, over 1,400 delegates, the expo with all the uh, you know equipment suppliers and... Um, that kind of thing was massive, biggest I've ever seen in my history of going to conferences and that sort of thing. It was huge. The venue was just the biggest building I think I've ever been in. And where it was situated was, you know, some of you may have seen some of the views that I posted. It was definitely uh, not a terrible place to be for sure. So the way our Australian National Conference runs is it's a three-day conference, but... Quite often, the day before the conference is a CPD day for academics called Education Day. This was the first time I was actually in an academic position, so I've never actually been to an Education Day. So this conference was my very first one, and I was very excited about uh, heading on and seeing what I could learn from that. The day was split into two sessions. It was kind of a, I guess, a workshoppy type format. The morning session just absolutely blew my mind. It was about curricular development and uh, Indigenous health, Indigenous studies within occupational therapy. Uh, it was led by some amazing clinicians, and I'll, I'll have a, a dabble into that. I don't want to focus too much on Education Day because technically it's kind of not part of the conference, but I, I do have to make comment about it anyway because it was just amazing Uh, and the second half of the day again led by some amazing conditions was around uh, academic career progression and coming up with uh, kind of five-year career plans and research plans and how you know you're going to progress through this career in academia the the morning session and the 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 one or the activity that i think i took the most out of there was a 
a session led by uh, a gentleman called Turpa Ricci, uh, and I apologize if I've just butchered the pronunciation uh, of your name, but uh, yeah, I'm not very good with that. <laughs> but he he's an indigenous man. He works in Adelaide. Uh, he presented a quite confronting for a lot of people, uh, I guess, lecture-style presentation before the activity about whiteness and i know that a lot of people are going to go oh and shudder and that was his point that was something that he discussed during his presentation was why do people have this reaction even just saying the word or seeing the word uh, or having a discussion about whiteness and it was very much a it was not an offensive or a a pushing an agenda, like hard kind of presentation. It was very much about self-reflection and highlighting some cultural aspects of Australian culture, white Australian culture, that a lot of us probably have never thought about, so didn't really know was there and kind of just allowed to happen and took for granted. So I'm not going to go into it too much, but it was an absolutely amazing presentation and an amazing workshop. Some very deep and reflective discussions among the group uh, and quite a lot of light bulb moments for me and for, for the other people in the group. So um, bravo to, to the guys that organized uh, the education day and, and presented the, that session in particular because it, was, it, was, it had a profound impact on me. So that was education day. Moving on to day one of the conference, it was rather chilly for this boy from Townsville. We luckily were staying quite close, so it wasn't a a long walk or anything to the conference because I could go from the warmth of my Airbnb to the warmth of the conference venue with a short jaunt through the refrigerated air of Sydney in between. So the first thing that I would like to bring up is uh, one of the keynotes, a lady by the name of Lee Sales, who isn't an OT. She gave the opening plenary, the opening keynote of the conference. She is, in fact, for those of you who don't know, uh, a a journalist. She's uh, won myriad of awards. She is a published author. She runs a podcast. She's very well known for her uh, journalism into really big, hard-hitting issues. She was the, I think it was the ABC's correspondent in Washington for a number of years after 9-11, covering the the event and then the, the fallout of the following years with regards to that. Uh, she's reported on multiple wars and attacks and terrorist attacks and she really has sort of seen and discussed and investigated the very best and the very worst of human uh, existence in a lot of ways as far as I can tell. But what she was talking about, uh, her keynote was uh, about the new normal, adapting to life-changing events or after life-changing events. And it was about, uh, essentially, I think a lot of it was based around her new book, which is called Any Ordinary Day. And she she did give a lot of uh, personal accounts of trauma and that uh, from her own life, which I won't go into. You can read her book, Any Ordinary Day, by Lee Sales, available on booktopia.com.au, as many other, oh, I think you can even get it on audio book on Audible. There you go. But she 
has spoken to, or she she highlighted the concept that she had come to the realization that quite often people hide from things that scare them, potential dangers and that kind of stuff. She discussed, and the title of the book, Any Ordinary Day, uh, is the concept that in all the people that she talked to who had been affected by terrorist attacks or life-changing events, car accidents, uh, you know, school shootings, any of that, their day started like any other day. There was no way that they could have known that, you know, their life was going to change forever on that particular day. And she talked about people being scared and, and the fear that some of these events instilled in a general populace mainly due to you know how it was reported and the media coverage of said events she discussed the concept of well, what would happen if rather than shying away from um you know places where these events had happened or air travel or uh you know the common things that are have been affected by life-changing events in our our lifetimes what if she was to in a way, move towards them. So she set out talking to people and those affected by some of these life-changing events, uh, and that's what this this book is about. But the things that she learned were very insightful. Uh, she's evidenced it a lot with psychological literature. Uh, it's well, she's she's very well read uh, in the field of sort of uh, trauma-based therapy and trauma reaction. But I really I really resonated with the concept, and it's something I'd never thought of, that these life-changing things happen to anyone. And the human psyche has this sort of default, like, what about me? What if it had been me? What if it had been someone I love? That We try and personalize things to try and make sense of them. Because at the scale of one of the examples she used was a, a gunman attack that happened in Sydney in uh, a cafe uh, a few years ago. And she talked about the the people that were involved that were in that cafe at the time. And, you know, there was nothing in any of their days prior to the, that event happening that would indicate that their lives were going to change forever. But then there's the external reaction to those looking on, and I could totally relate to what she was saying as, again, I wasn't there, but I had the thoughts of, Why, what if it was me? How would I react? What, would, uh, what if it was someone that I loved or cared about that was in that, in that cafe at that time when that event happened? How would that affect me? And she discussed the, rather than the, that exact phenomenon of what about, what about, what about, she discussed the psychological component of that's a human reaction to try and personalize or relate uh, a large event such as that to yourself so that you're better able to try and process it. So by trying to put yourself into that situation or to try and put yourself, you know, how you would react if someone you cared about was in that situation is how you process it. But the issue is that almost puts you too close to it and it's somewhat of a, a vicarious trauma that really doesn't need to have happened. It's that concept was, was one of the big takeaways that I, I got from her, her talk. 
Her whole talk was amazing. She was very inspirational. I, I hadn't, I'll be honest, I hadn't really heard of her. I mean, I'd seen her, she, she does a news uh, program called 7.30 here in Australia. Uh, I had heard of her from that, but I hadn't heard any of her story. I didn't realize she'd written books, that kind of stuff. I wasn't, she wasn't well known to me. But there were a lot of people that were very, very excited about her keynote, um, had copies of her books so that she could sign it and that kind of stuff. So uh, I knew she was going to be good, but she far surpassed any any expectations, uh, especially from someone who's not even from uh, a health background. Like the, the the level of talk that she gave and the evidence that she gave with it, uh, I would have, you know, gladly accepted from any health profession, OT, psych, anyone but coming from that journalistic background and having so much experiential knowledge to relate to these concepts and some of these concepts were things that she pulled purely from her experience and then went looking and found the information or found the evidence to to back it up or talk to experts in that field about her experiences to link them to the actual science behind you know the human psych so that was that was the opening keynote so that was a a pretty it was heavy in parts but it was extremely powerful and she is so well spoken and so well read uh it really was an inspirational way even you know as dark as some of the the topic content was it really was an inspirational way to to kick off the conference I can't speak. I, I would more than gladly see her speak again, and I, I'm definitely going to, to chase down her book and have a read because it, if it's as, as interesting and as well articulated as as her presentation, then it's going to be an unbelievable book. So I'll put links in the show notes to that book. So if you are interested, you can you can track that one down. The next event that I would like to bring attention to is. Associate Professor Natasha Lennon's uh, plenary, her her keynote presentation in the afternoon of day one. So I've known Tash for seven years, I think. I have a long history, and it's got nothing to do with research. And Natasha was the clinician who originally brought me into Occupational Therapy Australia, the conference organizing committee. She brought me into OTA to help with the social media and we've I see her at every conference and I convinced her that using Twitter for professional purposes is a really good idea, which really part of this keynote made me laugh exceptionally hard because in the last 18 months, I think Tash has taken to Twitter better than almost any other clinician that I know. Uh, I'll link to her Twitter if you are not following her yet. I'll link to her Twitter in the show notes. But part of her presentation was these polls that she'd been running on Twitter and I just could not wipe the smile off my face because I remember when uh, she was the uh, head of the, the organizing committee for our national conference in 2013 and she was so resistant to, to using Twitter. And after much convincing and peer pressure... Uh, she eventually joined and I've just seen her grow and grow and grow in it. And now she's seen the value in it and found her, her happy place with regards to its use and how she can best utilize it for you know her benefit. And it, it's really, it, it does crack me up a little bit. But that's a side note. So her keynote presentation of attracting and nurturing clinician researchers in occupational therapy 
Tash is probably one of the most prolific researchers in OT in Australia. Uh, her list of publications is amazing. Uh, the, I've been to uh, a state conference uh, in her home state where I would say a solid 50% of the presentations had her name on it, whether it was her uh, as a lead or her supervising honours or PhD students. She is everywhere. When it comes to, if you're in research and you're an OT and you're in Australia, you know who Tash Lannan is. So I really enjoyed, and I've heard her present on her thoughts on the fact that we need to get more OTs into research. I've heard her present on her ideas and concepts of how we might be able to do that. This presentation was slightly different in that it was about getting clinicians into research and not just academics. Because academics, it's kind of, in academia, research is it's kind of one of the KPIs that a lot of academics are measured on. So there's this almost a mandate for academics to do research. That's great, but her concept or what she was approaching in this presentation was that a lot of the work is done on the coalface and a lot of the research needs to be about improving that workflow for clinicians on the ground. And the best way to do that is to get clinicians involved in that research. So a presentation delved really heavily into, well, what are the barriers? Why aren't clinicians, why are they leaving the research up to academics? Why aren't clinicians getting involved in research? And that was some of her polls were about that, her Twitter polls. A lot of it was about systemic issues around creating the space and the time and even sometimes the funding in order for clinicians to engage in research whilst in a clinical position and not having to leave clinical work to move into academia in order to engage in research. And I, I for one, I could relate to this completely uh, in my clinical my previous life uh, in clinical, the service that I was working for would often talk about, you know, we need to get research, we need people doing research, how can we do it, let's plan it, and they would provide uh, meetings around like planning for research and that sort of thing, but when it came to actually uh, making the space and the support and the time and the money for people to engage in research in clinical positions, all of a sudden their attention waned and it wasn't as important as other things. So it was always the first thing to to drop off once you know the workload increased and the workload got busy. So Tash is a, a, an amazing ambassador for research. Uh, she's, she, yeah, what more can I say? I would encourage anyone to follow her on Twitter. She does post a lot of research-related uh, resources and information, and uh, it's, it's really useful if you're, you're interested in that. And definitely have a read. Uh, the Occupational Therapy Australia Journal has put out a special edition with all of the abstracts from the conference. I will also add a link to that in the show notes so definitely have a read you can read um, all of the abstracts for the the speakers that i'm talking about today and every other speaker at the conference so you can connect with them as well if you like that was the end of day one there was a networking and welcomes drink event in the expo hall uh, that afternoon from 5 30 till 6 30 ish it was a really good time to catch up with old friends, make new friends, 
have a beer, relax after what was a really big full-on day of conference and learning and prepare have some share some ideas here when other people that what i found really interesting was a lot of the people that i ran into were presenting there weren't too many people that were at the conference and not doing anything so having being able to network and talk with people and find out what are you presenting on when are you presenting kind of made planning the timetable out a bit easier i found for whatever reason maybe it was just the size of the conference i found the timetable itself to be quite not hard to read just distracting and it may have just been the headspace i was in at that time i was just tired and overworked and overwhelmed and and whatnot but i found that i planned a lot of the sessions that i actually eventually went and saw based on the people that i met and having a chat with them and going wow that sounds really interesting i'm going to come and check out check that out so uh, those networking events served two purposes for me in that there was the, the networking aspect, but it also helped plan the sessions that I was going to see for the rest of the conference. So that was the end of day one. Day two kicked off with an absolute cracker. In Australia, we have the Sylvia Docker Award Lecture, probably, in my opinion and many others' opinion, the highest honor uh, anyone can be afforded at a national level conference. This year's award winner and this year's lecture was delivered by the amazing Professor Gail Whiteford, who you may remember from episode 24 of this very podcast. Professor Whiteford is one of my absolute OT heroes. I think she's absolutely amazing. I love all of her work, everything around occupational justice, her occupational science, just even her general conceptualization of where the profession is heading and should be heading. Uh, I am openly admitting that I am absolute fanboy of Professor Whiteford's. Uh, and this presentation was absolutely no different. I met up with her on day one, said g'day. Actually, it was on uh, education day. I said g'day, how you going? Caught up. And she did tell me then, she's like, you're going to really enjoy what I have to say on Wednesday, on Thursday. I'm like, I would have already, but now I'm super excited seeing you uh, have told me that I'm going to enjoy it, which means that you are talking about something that I'm probably going to be quite passionate about. So the conference theme was Together Towards Tomorrow, which I thought was actually really, really cool. And Professor Whiteford's presentation, uh, her Sylvia Docker lecture, was called Together We Go Further. She fit so much information and so many amazing ideas into this one lecture my mind was just exploding towards the end of it she talked about some of the things that we had discussed in the the podcast uh, with regards to where the profession or how the profession categorizes itself so utilizing uh, specialties in occupational transition, occupational deprivation, and that sort of thing, instead of mental health, peds, rehab, that kind of thing. Uh, and she did explain, same as she did in the podcast, she explained why she felt this was a better spot. She explored the use of co-design, knowledge, co-production, and co-researchers, uh, and how she felt this was a much better approach with engaging communities in occupational research. She encouraged OTs to use a much more critical lens when we're exploring 
some of our own concepts and our own biases. She highlighted some uh, systemic biases within our own core theories. Uh, she used as an example the colonization um, or decolonization of thought and theory in Australia to better service uh, a wider range of people, including uh, Indigenous Australians. The big thing that she was encouraging was for the profession itself within research and within practice to move towards collectivism instead of individualism. Not saying that that's not important, but the move towards individualism has very much created these pockets of isolation for some populations. So research, she was saying, she was highlighting that research really needed to also take into account, probably even more so, uh, a collectivist approach where we look at you know population and community and wider group appeal uh, to certain concepts and how they they operate within the profession. And I'll read this this one aspect from her her abstract, as I I really think it's it's powerful, and I can't put it into any better words than she has. So, adopting a critical and epistemolo- epistemologically reflexive position is essential in identifying current hegemonic practices in the profession which can be inadvertently disempowering to the very people we are mandated to serve. Addressing such hegemonic blind spots and ensuring inclusive power-sharing practices can be achieved through the use of decolonizing and occupation-centered approaches in all areas of practice. There's something about the way (laughs) Professor Wideford phrases things that just blows my mind. And I know there's a million amazing writers uh, and publishers out there within the profession, but there's something about the way she writes that is so complex yet so to the point and understandable and relatable that I, I it, it blows my mind. It, it really does. So that by far one of the highlights of my conference was being witness to uh, Professor Gail Whiteford's keynote presentation, her Sylvia Docker lecture, Together We Go Further. Another really powerful uh, highlight for me happened on day three. And originally it wasn't something that I'd even sort of clicked on. I'd missed it in the timetable, but a friend of mine said she was going to this and it sounded amazingly up my alley. So I also attended and that was a debate. I've seen these happen at a couple of different conferences. Sometimes they're done for a bit of fun. Sometimes they're done on quite serious topics. This one was kind of in the middle in that it was done for a bit of fun, but I personally feel the topic is quite central to the future of occupational therapy. And it's something that I've discussed on this podcast a couple of times in various different ways. But this debate took the, the topic head on. And the debate topic was, Is it time to abandon self-care, leisure, and productivity as categories of occupation? It was rooted in the World Federation of OT's keynote speaker, Karen Wiley-Hamill, who spoke at the South African conference last year on a similar topic. And I've read her work. I think the paper was from 2009 around challenging the the status quo, essentially, challenging the sacred text, I I believe she called it, 
uh, of occupational therapy in that, well, why do we actually use these categories? Uh, both teams put up uh, mostly valid debate. I I can't say that I could side with one side or the other completely unbiased because within this topic I am unapologetically and completely biased in that I do believe that those categories don't really serve us any purpose anymore. They may have back in the day. Health was a very different place. It may have served us then. I don't believe it serves us now. There's a number of reasons for that. And I think if anything, we're just hanging on to them because historical value, which was weirdly one of the arguments put forward by the affirmative team. Uh, by the negative team, sorry, saying that we should hang on to these categories because they've always been there and they've always worked. The thing I took away most from this was actually even the negative team, uh, sorry, the affirmative team saying we should get rid of these categories, brought up a point that I hadn't considered and it was simpler than my alternative. So in reading Hamill's work years and years ago, she proposed uh, that we replace them as opposed to just get rid of them. Uh, and her proposal was that we replace them with categories of engagement rather than categories of occupation. The purpose of this being that, and it's a long-held belief of myself, is that meaning is one of the most important aspects of any occupation because that is where that occupation actually links to that person. That is the link between the person and the occupation is the meaning. That is a massive uh, contributor to concepts such as motivation, such as you know their personal drive. It's linked to their values systems. And it's, to me, the most important aspect of an occupation that we're going to look at as an OT. So I'd always had in the back of my head that, yes, we should get rid of these categories because they don't serve us a purpose. But we could replace them with these categories of me uh, categories of engagement as that would serve a purpose because being able to look at why someone engages in an occupation as opposed to what box should we put this occupation in served a much bigger clinical focus for for me and then it's that sort of highlighted uh, to me, like, well, maybe we could look at balancing types of engagement and that might actually give some virtue back to the concept of occupational balance. I've moved on from that, but that was my original thought years ago when I actually read her paper. One of the arguments put forward by one of the, the team, Professor Matthew Molinau, who was saying that we should get rid of the categories, was that if we have a focus on occupation which, as we know, and was stated in one of Molyneux's books, um, that we know that occupation contains certain things. So it contains a purpose, it contains a meaning, it's contextually sound, it's distinctly human, but it, those things are included in an occupation. Like, to be an occupation, it needs to have those things in it. His argument was, if we're focusing on occupation, that's all we need. We don't need to then refocus on meaning. Because if we're focusing on occupation, by definition, we're focusing on meaning as part of that. We don't need to categorize the occupation. Because if we're focusing on occupation, all of the information that we're going to need clinically is contained in the exploration of that occupation itself. We don't... Like, adding the extra step of going, okay, we've analyzed all of this... Uh, information with regards to the person and their engagement in this occupation and its productivity. 
That part serves no purpose. And my argument for that, or well, not an argument, but my, yeah, it's an argument. My argument for that when I was having a discussion with a few people after the debate was, would the intervention that you considered be uh, to be correct after that, would the intervention change whether the occupation was categorized as productivity or self-care? Would the intervention itself change? Because if it does... Uh, it's probably a bigger issue, probably much different issue. Uh, the intervention shouldn't change. Well, the the categorization of the occupation is moot. That's how I feel about it. But I I applaud the debate because I went along with the debate thinking that I was just going to agree with everything. And even though I did agree with the side that was saying we need to get rid of the categorization, the reasoning why the meaning, ironically, was something that even I. I hadn't considered because I think I still was in this mindset of I need to, I can't just take this away, I need to replace it. But when I was looking at replacing it, I was over complex, I was making it overly complex. I, you know, needed to replace it with other categories, which we don't need to do. And I completely agree with the argument that Professor Molinau was putting forward in that if we're focusing on occupation and we're exploring that person's occupation, then we're also in, by nature of doing that, exploring the purpose of that occupation and the meaning of that occupation and all of the contextual factors around that occupation and the distinctly human factors of that occupation. We don't need to make things more complex. It's kind of like Occam's razor. We don't the, the simplest method is generally going to be the most effective and the best method. And I think this is a, a really valuable lesson for me in that I am always I'm the kind of person that I'm always thinking, I've always believed in pretty much every aspect of my life that if there is a simple way of doing something, that that is going to be the best way. Making things overly complex for the purpose of it serves no purpose other than to give you something to do. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, you're not going to get anywhere. This highlights to me that I, I, I was under the impression that I'd already found a simpler way or a better way, and I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. There was a simpler way. And it was simply to focus on our core difference, the thing that separates us from every other profession, the only thing that separates us from every other profession, and that is occupation. And I can't express how happy that made me that, one, I was wrong, which sounds really weird to say, but two, I was wrong because there was a way that I could be more occupation-focused. And that makes me happy because, you know, uh, as most of you will know, I am a, a large proponent of occupation-based practice and occupation-focused practice. And any way that I can find and hear and see and learn to be even more occupation-focused, I'm 100% always down for that. So uh, I, I took a lot away from that debate, even though it was a, a little bit of fun uh, and... You know, there was people on both sides that, you know, there was more at the end. They did a before and after polling of who was for the affirmative, who was for the negative and who was unsure. And for some reason, all three categories went up. I think there might have been some people slipped into the room after the initial poll. But it started discussion and those discussions kept going after the presentations were finished, which was, you know, that's, that's what you want for any kind of presentation that you give at a conference or a workshop is you want those discussions to continue because you know that you've really reached out and you've touched a nerve or you've touched an idea and you've planted a seed in people because they're, they're going to continue discussing it. So that, that, was, that was really awesome. 
I would love to say a massive thank you to all of the people that came up and said g'day at the conference. I was quite often just so overwhelmed I didn't know what to say, so I apologize if I just like was taken by surprise and looked at you weirdly. It, having people come up and say that they listen to the podcast or they really love the podcast or they really enjoy this episode or that episode is just absolutely more than I could ever have hoped for. Um, there was one one lady, and I, I won't say her name, but she she definitely was a highlight of, of my conference. She came up and she had told me that she was studying OT but was at a point where she was considering dropping out. She was over it. She was kind of disenfranchised by the the profession and found the podcast and a lot of the guests and the concepts that we talked about kind of re-energized uh, her love for the profession and she decided to, to continue on. And I I can't thank you enough for listening and and sharing your story with me at the conference. So thank you very much. I am so humongously and overly grateful to everyone who listens uh, and especially those that take the time to come and say good day if you see me or shoot me an email or tweet me or dm me or however you, you want to get in contact even the people that you know write reviews and that kind of stuff like i appreciate the hell out of you you guys are a big reason to you know why why I keep doing this. It's 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 a lot of fun and 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 to see you guys getting something out of it as well. Um, it means means a lot to me. So thank you so much to everyone that I got to talk to. Uh, apologies if I didn't get to you or I didn't see you or you didn't find me. The conference was big enough that it seemed to be quite easy that you could wander around all day and not see, you know, someone that you were looking for. So I did that quite a few times to, to, when I was looking for different people and just couldn't find them. So um, definitely, if you, obviously the other thing is, obviously I couldn't get to every session. So if you went to a session and you thought the speaker was just the bomb uh, and you'd like to hear more from them, shoot me an email and let me know like i'll be more than happy to to find some interesting people from that conference and and try and bring them or invite them anyway uh to to come on the podcast and, and have a chat with so shoot me an email contact details are all at brockcook.com yeah those are the key things that i would like to just bring up to you guys they're the the main few things that i really really took a, a lot out of from this conference uh, it was an amazing experience. It was so busy. And I know you Americans are going to be going, oh, that's only a little one. But for Australia, that's big. That's big. We're a little country. Don't pick on us. But having over 10 to 12 concurrent sessions, that's a lot of choice for one human. I, I can't give uh, bigger props to the, the people that organized it. I've been involved in those committees for quite a number of years before this conference. Uh, I know the workload it takes just from my little role on those committees. So the conference convener, Mandy Stanley, absolutely phenomenal job. The The head of the scientific committee, Justin Scanlon, absolutely mind-blowing job. I was so excited last conference when they announced that Justin was going to be heading up the scientific committee. Um, he is a, has a mental health base, uh, does a lot of research around mental health in OT. 
Uh, and I just, in the back of my head, I went, yes, there's going to be some wicked mental health content in the next conference. And he far surpassed anything that I was expecting. There was so much amazing content, amazing presentations, uh, even the posters. The posters were epic. If you haven't seen uh, all of our posters now at the Australian conference that are all digital, which was amazing. They had these big, massive, like touchscreen TVs. You could go up and you could choose a poster or search for an author or just browse through them and bring them up. The best thing about the, them being digital is you can embed AV into them. So my podcasting poster had an audio clip that when you open the poster up, it was me, like I'm talking to you now, giving a bit of intro, saying day. Uh, and discussing the poster. Some people had videos, some people had graphics, like it was, they were really cool. There was also poster presentations, so some people were invited to give little four-minute presentations around their poster, their research, and whatever else they were trying to present uh, within their poster. They were really well attended. That little area uh, where that was happening was always packed every time I saw it. Uh, and I attended a couple of those and they were really, really interesting. So bravo to, to the Australian Organising Committee for, for reaching out and, and, you know, trying new things. And I know they got a few ideas. I think there was some ideas that they got from the, might have been the British conference with these occupation stations where they were really practical. And there was uh, essentially like little workshops where... OTs could engage in certain occupations. So I know there was one around uh, the circus. I know uh, there was one around virtual reality. There was one around utilizing Twitter. And OTs could attend and actually engage in those occupations uh, under instruction from other OTs. So, yeah, the occupation stations I know were a big success. They were awesome. I Yeah, I, I had an amazing time. I caught up with so many old friends, some I hadn't seen in forever, which was amazing to catch up. Uh, I met some new and amazing people, definitely got a few ideas for this podcast and a few hopefully willing to come and have a chat uh, and share their amazing knowledge with you guys. The next national conference, so our Australian national conference runs every two years, uh, which I think is good because it uh, gives you enough time to do some research or update your whatevers and you know it's not every year how often do things in ot take you know less than a year so it gives you time for the the scenery to actually shift then the next conference comes around and then you can have a look and see where it's moved to uh the next conference is up around my home home ground home ground advantage for me so it's in cairns Beautiful tropical cans. So if you are overseas, you've got till 2021, uh, June, end of June 2021, if you would like to visit the reef, the rainforest, uh, and throw in an occupational therapy conference in the middle there. So by all means, I'll again, I'll put the links in the show notes to that conference if you're interested. That's about it for now, guys. Uh, hopefully that was somewhat interesting. I, I Tweeted up a storm. Twitter was very well engaged. So again, if you check out the hashtag OTAUS2019, uh, that was the conference hashtag. There was a ton of information there. People tweeting about the sessions they were in. Keynotes. The, the keynotes were, were fantastic. You'll find a ton of information on there if you're on Twitter. So check that out if you're interested. Other than that, guys, thanks for listening. I will talk to you soon. 
Peace.